welcome to Word Online. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us at the very beginning of Word Online. There are 184 uh, videos uh, set in 14 series in the Word Online teaching materials and they're available for you. They cover the whole life of Jesus and we're taking all the material from all the four Gospels using all those passages, using parallel passages where the same story or teaching is given by different Gospels in parallel. They're all mentioned as we go through. So it's a massive journey. My aim is to tell the story of Jesus freshly, looking into every detail, not missing anything out to give you and everyone who hears or views these videos a much more comprehensive understanding of who Jesus is. You might be an inquirer from another religious background. You might be a secular person. You might be a committed Christian. You might be coming back to faith. You might be wanting to develop your own Christian discipleship. You might, might be a Christian leader. You're welcome. Word Online is a unique project to uh, support and develop discipleship. The materials are designed to be used where English is understood uh, not just as a first language, but maybe a second or third language. And we hope in days to come that we'll translate the material into other languages. So thanks for joining us. And we're going to start at the very beginning today by looking at uh, Luke's opening statement at the beginning of his gospel. In fact, in the first three episodes, we've got three different starting points for the life of Jesus from Luke's point of view, from John's point of view, and then from Matthew's point of view. Three fascinating and different approaches to the same event. And that's one of the wonderful things about studying the Gospels, is you have four writers looking at the same event and viewing it slightly differently and giving a different emphasis, sometimes different information, different stories, different teaching, different reflections. It's a really rich and wonderful um, resource that we've got in the four Gospels. And my feeling is it's underused by the church. It's the biggest section of the New Testament, if you put the four Gospels together, much bigger than the Book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church. It's bigger than all the letters put together, written by all the apostles and their associates. It's bigger than the Book of Revelation. It's the biggest uh, resource for us, and we're going to, to look into it in great detail, with great excitement. Uh, during the 184 episodes that are before us. You can dip in at any point, of course, and just look at one particular episode if you want. You can look at a particular series, or you can follow the journey all the way through, taking as much time as you need to, and I hope some of you will do that as you're starting with us today at the beginning. Luke uh, has a small introduction, which we're going to read now, the first four verses of Luke chapter 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you 
most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is the sort of passage you can pass over very quickly when you want to get on to the story. Because immediately after this, Luke goes straight into telling us about the birth of John the Baptist, and then that leads very quickly on to the birth of Jesus. But this opening section is incredibly important. And the first question that comes to mind is, who is Theophilus? Who is mentioned here? Most excellent Theophilus. Interestingly enough, the Greek words that make up that name mean lover of God. We don't know who he is exactly. And here are some possibilities. He could be someone who's inquiring about the Christian faith that Luke actually knows. It could be a disciple or a follower of Jesus who wants to get deeper into the story. Or thirdly, and I think this is most likely, Theophilus may well be someone who is a patron for Luke, someone who is financing him to do his research project. Now, it's a Greek name, so he's probably not a Jew. He's coming from the Gentile or non-Jewish nations. And Luke is writing with them very much in mind. And Theophilus may well be the person who is financing Luke to do this work. Well, that raises another question. Well, who is Luke? And how does he fit into this story? Well, he appears in the book of Acts as an associate of Paul and he appears occasionally in Paul's letters. We know that he's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. We know that he has a medical background and has worked as a doctor. And we know that at times Luke travelled with Paul when he went on his missionary journeys in areas like modern day Turkey and Greece, going from city to city, planting churches and supporting those churches. At times, Luke was actually present with Paul and he wrote the book of Acts as the second book and a companion to the book of Luke. So he's a travelling companion with Paul. He's very close, therefore, to the apostolic message. He understands what's going on. He sees the work of God and the power of God in the planting of churches um, in the decades after Jesus's death. So that's who Luke is. He appears to be quite a literate man. He's got a great interest in history and a historical way of thinking, which I find very interesting. We'll look at that a little bit more in just a moment. And then we ask ourselves the question, well, when and how did he do all this research that is implied here? He investigated everything from the beginning carefully. That's exactly what he says in this text. So um, he spent some time working on this. Well, obviously, he, he isn't working as a doctor at that point. He's not traveling with Paul at that point, probably. What opportunity would Luke have to investigate this? And particularly as he puts an emphasis on eyewitnesses. Now, most of the eyewitnesses of Jesus's ministry lived in Israel because that's where Jesus ministered. That where he, that's where he lived. That's where people would have, would have met him. But Luke didn't live in Israel and he travelled with Paul in areas like Turkey and Greece, as I've mentioned. But there's an interesting fact in the book of Acts, which might provide the clue to explain this. Between Acts 21 and Acts 26, Luke describes a visit that Paul made to Jerusalem after one of his missionary journeys. And he describes some very traumatic and complicated events that happened as soon as Paul arrived in Jerusalem. There was a riot. 
people, um, the Jewish people were very strongly opposed to him and his message. He was uh, nearly killed in a riot. He was rescued by the Roman military who then took him uh, to their capital, uh, their military capital, Caesarea, where he was in, uh, interrogated by the governor. And then he was put in prison for two years. Now, we know that Luke traveled with Paul to Jerusalem. And we know that immediately after that, uh, Paul was stuck in prison in the country for two years. And so the question arises, what did Luke do during that time? Well, we don't directly know the answer to that question, but it's very reasonable to suggest the following scenario. Luke stayed in the country of Israel. It wasn't his country, but this is where the eyewitnesses were. And he got to know the churches. He got to know perhaps some of the apostles themselves. He got to know some of the church leaders. He traveled around the country uh, meeting people who'd been healed by Jesus, who'd heard Jesus teach. And uh, this was about 25 years after Jesus had died. And so if someone had been 20 when Jesus had died, they'd now be 45. If they were 30, they'd be 55. So there'd be plenty of people around in the country who vividly remembered Jesus. And many of them were converts who become Christians and they would have every reason to think about the experiences they'd had with Jesus. It's even possible that Luke may have had access to Jesus's own biological family, to Mary perhaps, to some of Jesus's half-brothers and other more distant relatives, people living in the Galilee area perhaps. That's a very distinct possibility. And we do find later on that, uh, that, uh, that Luke recounts the story of Jesus's birth entirely from Mary's point of view, whereas Matthew recounts it from Joseph's point of view. And so one wonders, where did Luke get the material from? Lots of very close detail about Mary, about her cousin Elizabeth, about the um, visitations from angels, about all sorts of things that happened at that time. Now, he was looking for eyewitness information. He would have had access in that time to members of Jesus's biological family and their close associates. So that's maybe where he got that information from. Eyewitnesses and servants of the word were the people that were the source for Luke. He's done a thorough job and he's written what he describes as an orderly account in verse three. Now, this is an interesting expression, and it implies, though it doesn't state categorically, but it implies that an orderly account is a chronological orderly account, putting events in the right order chronologically. Now, as someone who wasn't involved in any of the events, he started uh, with a sort of clean uh, slate, as it were, when he came to this. He started freshly. He looked at the evidence, he got eyewitness information and he pieced together the chronology and he describes this as an orderly account. But he also says that he's not the only person to have written a life of Jesus, not the only person to have written a gospel account. And we know, of course, that there are four gospel accounts that have been authenticated by the church as being accurate historically and written by authoritative people such as apostles themselves, for example, John and Matthew, or their close associates such as Luke and 
Mark. So we have these four Gospels, which the church considered authoritative and uh, historically accurate. And they're very important documents for us. Now, an interesting question arises. In which order were these Gospels written? Luke implies here that he's not the first person to write. And all the evidence suggests that that is exactly true. The most likely order of events uh, in terms of writing is that Mark wrote first. That's what most scholars believe. We can't prove this for certain. Mark's account is the shortest. It has a number of uh, indicators of being written first. And then probably Matthew's account came next. And probably Luke was the third writer. And the fourth one is John. We're going to talk a little bit more about John uh, later in a different episode because he's a slightly different writer and he approaches things from a slightly different um, perspective. But these other three, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they're closely integrated and there is a close connection between the three accounts. They're called the synoptic accounts, um, synoptic gospels, because they look at the same events in a very closely integrated way. So if Luke is the third writer, then he would have had access to Mark and Matthew and he would have used some of their material perhaps and put his own order of events um, as he developed his gospel and wrote it down. Now all these gospels have different emphases. It's worth just commenting on this at the very beginning of our study. Mark is brief. It's written in rather a, a hasty, dynamic style. There's not much material about Jesus's teaching. There's a lot of focus on the events leading up to Jesus's death, and it has an evangelistic feel to it. It's a, an appeal to people to follow Jesus on the basis of basically what he did for them on the cross. And church tradition has uh, uh, suggested from very early days that Mark was the associate of Peter, the apostle, and wrote down Peter's accounts of Jesus's life, uh, perhaps when they were together in Rome uh, towards the end of Peter's life. So that's Mark's gospel. And you will notice, of course, that it is the shortest of the gospels. Matthew is much longer, very substantial gospel. It's written from a very Jewish point of view. It emphasises the fulfilment of prophecy and Jewish history on many occasions. And there's a great deal of emphasis on teaching material, really the opposite of Mark. So they're very substantial blocks of teaching material in Matthew's gospel, notably Matthew chapter 5 to 7, Matthew 10, Matthew 13, Matthew 18, Matthew 24 and 25, and quite a lot of other bits of material alongside that. We'll talk a bit more about that in another context. Luke's approach is to try and get a very well-organised chronological account. He is emphasising the Gentiles. Uh, he doesn't have a Jewish focus. He's focusing on all the nations of the world as they come to believe in Jesus. This isn't surprising since he is a Gentile and he's been involved in the Gentile mission with Paul, as I mentioned earlier on. Some other themes that come out in Luke is his focus on women, his focus on the poor, his focus on the Holy Spirit and his focus on prayer. He makes many references, for example, to Jesus praying and has a lot of material on Jesus's teaching on prayer. John 
if, if he wrote last, as I'm suggesting, and many scholars believe that to be the case, deliberately decided to write from a very different perspective. And most of his material is based around events that happened in Jerusalem, uh, where Jesus uh, went very occasionally, whereas the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, focus uh, their events mostly around Jesus's home area of Galilee in the north of the country. John focused a lot on commenting on the identity of the person of Jesus and recounting long discussions that Jesus had with people in different contexts, which are often called discourses. Now, how did we get from the memories of eyewitnesses to the written account? Well, recent scholarship has suggested that um, the apostles and other associates may have taken uh, written notes at the very, very beginning. Previously, people didn't believe that was likely, but more people believe that's likely now in the academic world. So they may have written down some early notes, but principally there was oral tradition. People remembered and recounted and spoke out and discussed stories, teachings, through a great capacity to memorise, which was a very strong feature of their culture. Far less strong feature of modern Western cultures where the capacity to memorise information and narratives and stories and teaching is far more limited because we depend very heavily on other resources. You may come from a culture in which folk tradition, family memories are actually recounted uh, by storytelling on a regular basis and that really cements it in your mind. Some written notes, much oral tradition and much literal eyewitness memory. So uh, Luke is absolutely clear. One of his principal sources is eyewitnesses, people who actually saw things happening. And we know that to see things imprints it on the memory, especially dramatic events. Uh, dramatic events are very hard to forget. I wonder if you can think of dramatic events in your own life um, th that have really shaped your life. They're not, they're not easy to forget. You can quickly bring them to mind when somebody asks you about them. Now, the process we've taken with um, Word Online is to create a harmony of the four Gospels. We've integrated the material, making the assumption that Luke is producing an accurate chronology of, of the running order of events and adding in John's information as a later addition uh, to the running order on the assumption that he wrote a little bit after Luke, which is what most scholars believe. So therefore, the, the order of events, as you'll see in the 14 series that comprise this Life of Jesus in the Word Online teaching programme, the running order is based on the chronology given uh, in Luke. And you'll see that as a foundation for the ordering of events. And we've uh, taken a judgment on what we think the most likely order of events is on that basis. Some of these things can't be proved. But what I think you'll find, which I found tremendously exciting preparing the material, is how interesting it is the way stories and teachings and events come to life when you put them in a context of a running order of events. You get a feeling of Jesus's life developing. You get a feeling of the different geographical areas he worked in. When he was in Samaria, it was very different from when he was in Judea in the south or in Galilee in the north. 
And there were other districts that he visited that I'll discuss in much more detail later on as we come to them. Geography is important and the connection of events is important and that'll provide one of the ways in which we can learn further uh, about Jesus and the significance of things that happened in his life and things that, that he taught. So as I just now uh, bring this uh, opening episode uh, to a conclusion, let me just uh, reflect on a few things. And by the way, we're going to have some reflections at the end of each episode, just as a, as a means of uh, taking stock of what we've learned and thinking what applications we can make. The first thing I want to suggest to you is that Theophilus is a very interesting and important character for us. We are, in many ways, like Theophilus. Many of us will be believers in Jesus. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're welcome to listen to all these materials and join in uh, in the story. But if you are a believer in Jesus, you will share with Theophilus the experience that you believe in Jesus, but you haven't seen him as an eyewitness. Now, the reason Theophilus didn't see him, we don't exactly know, probably because he lived in a different country and lived in a slightly different time frame. For us, obviously, we're 2,000 years later. We believe, but we don't have any eyewitness experience. So how are we going to get closest to understanding the person of Jesus? Now, the Holy Spirit reveals things to us. The theology of writers like Paul reveals lots of wonderful things to us about the pathway to salvation and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and the, the reality of his resurrection and the doctrine of eternal life and all sorts of other things come to us that way. But in order to understand Jesus as a person, we need the Gospels more than anything else. And we need the eyewitness testimony that underlies all four Gospels. So our need is a bit like Theophilus. Theophilus wanted to get the eyewitness testimony. Now, why was Luke writing 25 years later after Jesus had died and writing all this down? Well, one thing that was really important at that stage was the realisation that eyewitnesses were dying off. Time was passing and the church was spreading to countries where there were no eyewitnesses of Jesus. Uh, there were there were far distant countries uh, in uh, all sorts of different places around the Roman world and beyond into North Africa and uh, across into other parts of the, what we call the Middle East today. So many people were like Theophilus. They wanted more information. They wanted to know exactly what Jesus did exactly why he did it, exactly what his connection to the Old Testament prophecies were, was exactly what he taught, exactly what his parables were, exactly what happened at the time of the crucifixion, exactly what happened in the resurrection appearances. These things really matter to people like Theophilus and they matter to us. We want to ground our Christian faith in the historical reality of everything Jesus said and did. It's important to understand the whole story of Jesus. I would say that one of the most transforming things for me as a Christian has been the study of the Gospels. It was about 25 years ago um, as a Christian pastor that I set myself the task of studying the Gospels and piecing the chronology together. 
and I wrote out a list of how I felt all the passages fitted together. And I went through it for the first time 25 years ago. It was absolutely thrilling to do that. And I noticed there the strategic role that Luke plays in the chronology and the running order of events. And I've been developing that way of thinking for all those years. Yet more recently, I felt a sense, uh, now is the time to commit this material to uh, audio and video resources and make them freely available so that we can share this journey together. So I'm inviting you to share the wonderful journey of going through uh, the life of Jesus. Every one of the series uh, of the 14 series represents a particular series of events or a particular phase of Jesus' life, or in some cases, particular teaching that uh, he gave. For example, series four is on the Sermon on the Mount. It consists entirely of teaching material in that series. And so as you look at the structure of the series, you'll see how the story unfolds and how it moves essentially from Jesus in Galilee in the north of Israel and moves eventually to the south, to the capital city, Jerusalem, where the final events of his life on earth took place. So welcome to Word Online. Thanks for joining in. Thanks for listening to this first episode. And I hope that it will encourage you to stay with us on the journey. In episode two, I'll be turning the pages over to John's Gospel, to John chapter one, where we find a completely different introduction to the life of Jesus. And then in episode three, I'll be turning the pages again and looking at Matthew, who approaches it from another completely different angle. They're all valid. They're all important. It's all part of the journey. And the journey has begun. Thanks so much for joining us. And I hope I'll see you again. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.